Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. I'd just like to start today's episode by thanking everyone who engaged with the first. The support and the feedback we've received has been overwhelming. And yeah, we're really grateful. We're delighted to be able to bring you a regular podcast feature. Uh, and I'm delighted to be able to welcome my two guests today. Scouted Football co-founder Stephen Ganavas returns, but it's a podcast debut for Scouted veteran Phil Costa. Uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Phil. How are we? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, mate. It's always nice to come on. Yeah, very good. Very good. Steve, how about you? Uh, very depressed after the cricket yesterday, uh, but slowly recovering. Yeah, I was going to say you probably uh, you probably aren't, aren't too pleased with uh, Sir Ben Stokes. No, but th- three ones on the card still, so we're happy with that. <laughs> the Australian in you, uh, you, you're not hiding that, are you? Never, never, never. Well, uh, the big news, aside from the ashes, uh, is that the Scouted Football Handbook Volume 3 print edition is here. That was officially released a few days ago. So we thought, what better theme for this podcast than the Scouted Football Handbook, and more specifically, Volume 3. Steve, would you like to get us kicked off with just a brief explanation as to what the handbook is for people uh, who haven't heard about it before, and, and maybe a bit of the evolution of the handbook over the years? Yeah, so in 2016 it was now, a long time ago, we kind of decided uh, that instead of doing stuff on us on our site, we would kind of compile it all into one thing we do every year and, and publish a yearly ebook on uh, 100 players, 100 profiles on 100 players, uh, which roughly went from 100 to 110 to 114 and got a bit out of hand. Um, so we did that for three years and yeah, earlier this year we decided let's try and split it up into, into four and, and do it as a, as a print mag and, and, and see what the interest is and see if people are enjoying it. And people seem to have taken to it and are really, really liking it. We have assembled a great team that of people that have, have been with scouted for a long, long time. A great core group of guys that, doing the Twitter, doing the podcast, editing, all types of stuff. Uh, so really happy with this edition. Uh, all the pre-orders were, were shipped out on Friday. We had a couple of delays at the printers, but that was all resolved. And on Friday, everything went out. So I think you guys have a, a bank holiday weekend. So hopefully they'll start to ar- arrive to, to UK customers on, on Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, hopefully see a few photos pop up on the timeline of, of people getting their books. But yeah, this this process was always a bit crazy, but um, yeah, there's some really really awesome profiles in this one. So yeah, really happy. Yeah, so essentially, uh, the second episode of the podcast, um, we're just going to explain the premise of a few of the big name profiles in Volume Three, um, a few more of the obscure players who you may not have heard of before, and of course, who who we've all written about uh, in Volume Three. Uh, Steve has three profiles. I have three profiles. Phil, you've got one, but we're also going to touch on the previous profiles that that we've all covered in there in volumes one and two as well one of my favorites actually uh, is one of phil's which is the joe linton profile which is uh, there's a little little bit in there which uh, says he, he resembles somewhat of a heavyweight boxer and after yesterday's one nil victory over spurs i think a lot of people will will be resonating with that description there but yeah anyway we're gonna get kicked off big name profiles in volume three so there are the cover star of course chris paqueta uh, at ac milan Again, very exciting player. A lot to, to like about him. He is joined in Volume 3 by the likes of David Brooks, who we really like at Scouted. He's currently injured at the moment, but 
I mean, he really does make that Bournemouth team tick. Are there, are there any that you guys uh, have sort of earmarked as the ones that you're gonna that you're gonna read first or really look at in depth? I mean, me personally, I I think uh, Rodri, uh, Rodrigo, however you want to say it, um, who's at City now. I mean, we we sort of knew about him before. He's not really under the radar per se, but I think over the over the last season, you watched him developed at you know Atletico Madrid and gradually as time went on the, the transfer links surfaced and you just thought right this guy is is pretty much perfect for man city and you know their their squad is so stacked with talent so whenever they, they they make a signing it's usually you know one or two every summer but you know they're going to be like a perfect fit and he's just you know he's he's slotted in perfectly fernandinho's getting on a bit now 33 34 so they needed someone who was young, who could maybe learn with him and under him for a year and then just be ready to to take over and make that spot his own. And already you can see the quality with his distribution. And even he's he's picked up those little tactical fouls as well, which I'm which I'm sure he uh, he learned under Simeone. So over the next five, ten years he's just gonna be a mainstay in that side and and it's uh, it's all good for for City in that department. So I'm really excited to read uh, Peter's profile on him. And for me personally, I think uh, a profile Definitely, that people should be looking out for is is from uh, Roberto Grosso, who's who's come on and written a, a goalkeeper profile for us on on Dragovski from uh, Fiorentina, who had a, a fantastic season last year on loan at Empoli. Had a couple of of games in particular where he just pulled off save after save. I, I can't remember who it was against, but I think it was the most saves of any keeper in the top five leagues uh, in a single game last season. So yeah, that 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 is a really awesome profile. That yeah, definitely worth reading. Uh, yeah, that Dragovsky one. Uh, it was against Atalanta where he made seventeen saves uh, in a in a single game, and you know managed to earn that clean sheet. I think. I mean, that's that's remarkable in itself. But we're we're really glad to to have Roberto uh, writing that one for us. For for me, uh, one that I haven't written, but I'm really looking forward to to getting my teeth into is uh, Samuel Chukwueze, um, which David Cartledge has written. Just the the story of of, of Samu. Uh, his his rise from sort of uh, Villarreal's just a B team player with, with Villarreal to his his really fast accession to the first team to being possibly one of the more explosive and exciting players in the entirety of La Liga last year and now being a key player in that side. That's one that I think is written really well. I think it tells the story of Samuel Chukwueze really well too. That is one that that I have earmarked as as, as getting uh, getting my teeth sunk into as, as soon as uh, as soon as possible. As soon as my uh, my volume three arrives, which I'm sure the the both of you know is it's it's quite nice when when they arrive and you see it in print for the for the first time, and it's nice to hold it in your hands. It always takes me a little bit longer having to ship it all the way out to Ausland, but yes, it's it's and they smell nice when you get them as well. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. Yeah, those are sort of some of the big names that are uh, are in there. Not all of them, but just a few. But there are quite a couple of uh, more obscure players. Um, one of one of whom I penned myself, Seku Koita, who really I I hadn't I hadn't watched until the beginning of the Under Twenty World Cup this summer, uh, where he really was one of the stars of the show for Mali. He has similar to Chukwueze, he has quite an interesting story. Came to. Red Bull Salzburg as sort of a number 10, but has really taken on the physical profile of quite a combative, in-your-face striker, which he really lived up to at uh, Liefering, uh, at um, Wolfsburger on loan 
after a spell at Liefering in Austria's second division, who are the affiliate club of, of Red Bull Salzburg. He really hit the ground running at Wolfsburger and then continued with a stellar, stellar performance at the Under-20 World Cup, bullying opposition defenders, which you don't see too often now from players who... I mean, I think Seku Koita is definitely under six foot and he just really has this hustle and bustle about him, which is, is quite hard to ignore. He's at uh, Red Bull Salzburg with uh, Erling Haaland. And in, in my forecast, the, the part that I've written where I kind of see where he, he might go, I, I say that you know he, he might replicate his Wolfsburger form but that would rely on him being at uh, at Salzburg on a regular basis and starting regular games with the setup that Jesse Marsh is going for uh, in recent games where they are completely steamrolling teams uh, with two strikers one of whom being Erling Haaland who of course we we mentioned on the on the first episode of the podcast Koita looks as though he might complement Haaland quite well. He's he's toyed with using Pats and Dakar so far, but Koita would definitely be one that I could see partnering uh, Erling Haaland and that would be a fantastic, really potent uh, attacking duo. Anyway, uh, one player that I and many people may not have come across uh, too too often is uh, Marcos Antonio, uh, who is at Shakhtar, I believe, Steve. Yeah, so Marcos Antonio is a really interesting one. Uh, he kind of first popped up on on our radar at Scouted in uh, 2017 during the Under-17 World Cup, playing with Brazil in in that team that they got trounced by England. But he was a, a real shining light. I, I think we awarded him as our bronze ball of the tournament, I think. Just in midfield, really can do it all. Perfectly suited to, to roll at the base of midfield. Loves to kind of tuck in between the centre-backs and start to, to dictate play, but is also suited to a box-to-box type of role, very comfortable on the ball and, and can drive through drive through midfield exceptionally well. He scored a goal this weekend, first goal for, for Shakhtar, I believe. Just He just moved to Shakhtar about six to eight months ago. Bursting through midfield, nice wall pass and, and drove through the box, rounded the keeper and, and finished into an empty net. Kind of just showed everything, every, every part of his skill set and then also defensively a pressing machine. Fonseca last season used him kind of like in a striker's role from the goal kick and just sent him to the fullbacks whenever the opposition tried to to play out from the back and, and just sent him straight away to, to go and harass the fullback. So he's one definitely took out for, can do, yeah, a, a bit of everything. And uh, I don't suspect he'll be at Shakhtar for long if he can... Uh, start to usurp the uh, two established midfielders that that they have starting in uh, Alan Patrick and 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 Taras Stepanenko. Yeah, Shakhtar have another. Uh, I mean, with their Brazilian contingent, um, that's well well documented. But a player who signed for them at the same time uh, as as Marcos Antonio was a guy called Tete. He also scored. I think it was a five one win. Yeah, he, had. he he's also quite interesting. Got a very really nice physical profile quick over the ground as well and I think th- those two are definitely two to watch at Shakhtar the only the only reason that I've ever watched uh, the Ukrainian Premier League is for Viktor Sihankov who was uh, was one of my profiles in, in volume one but Shakhtar really have two burgeoning talents there in Marcos Antonio and Tete that I think could stake a claim to be starting players in not a top five European league yet but maybe a more high profile one than the Ukrainian Premier League Phil, it would be a shame to waste your Arsenal expertise and not get you to to analyse uh, the uh, Matteo Guendouzi profile uh, 
uh, written by Jake Entwistle in Volume Three. What do you what do you make of of the profile? What do you make of Guendouzi as a player? I mean, he's less of a, an obscure one, of course, but we can't not mention him. He's been correct me if this is too uh, sensationalist, but he's been a bit of a a bit of a revelation. No, he abs- he absolutely has, and um, I don't think he's quite getting the recognition he deserves. You know, he came from from Ligue 2, from Lorient. And, you know, there was a few noises about him. Um, he was linked with Tottenham previously, but nobody really, really knew who he was or what he would bring to the side. And after impressing him pre-season last summer, he just, he's become a mainstay uh, under Unai Emery. And it's, the composure he has is, is quite ridiculous for someone his age. Um, you know, Arsenal have been, for obvious reasons, very reliant on Granit Xhaka because, Distribution has not been there from the back, so we've had to rely on him to dictate most of our play. But this summer, there's there's been a slow phasing out of Xhaka, uh, with Joe Willett coming in, Danny Ceballos coming in, but mostly because of Ganduzi, who can who's just as comfortable at picking the ball up from the back four. He's happy to to sit in there and distribute and break the lines and and you know there's there's something about him as well. He's quite he's quite tenacious. He's quite feisty. You know, no occasion seemed to be too big for him or, or overawe him which was it's not quite a tangible quality but you could see it from day one and, and he's just gone from strength to strength and of course there's little small things that he could improve on like you're not falling over so quickly under the slightest bit of pressure and and losing his runners you know from a he, he has a tendency to switch off but you know for eight million pounds this is a star in the making and I think he could he could really be a mainstay in this Arsenal side for years to come I mean Unai Emery absolutely loves him and he started the season well. So, you know, hopefully, I'm sure Jake's done him justice with the profile. And um, I, th- I think people should definitely read it because a lot of the stuff that he does goes unnoticed. Um, yeah, I actually quite recently uh, met up with Jake and we had a chat about about his Gwendouzi profile and sort of the evolution of the, of the handbook and stuff to kind of reflect. But he, he was saying that he didn't feel as though he could take on as many because he wouldn't do them justice. Whereas he thought the Guendouzi profile, he he thought that he was well placed to be able to you know pass judgment on on his style and, and his forecast. And and having read it, it, it is a fantastic profile. It is really really good. It's not too as I was saying before. It's not too sensationalist, but it does outline where he can perhaps improve, but also what he's good at and sort of how it fits into the tactical setup that Unai Emery has been implementing at Arsenal. No, definitely. I mean, there, there's still some question marks over how we play under Emery and uh, and those are well voiced. But he, you know, the way he's settled in, the way he's just sort of come in with with his own voice, with his own presence, you know, he's, he's never felt small in this team. I mean, obviously he's, he's quite noticeable physically with his, with those curly locks, but I mean, he's he's quite an outspoken personality, which is which is great. You know, he's never scared to try things, which is which are traits I always always welcome in young players because whenever you know things can go wrong, passes won't come off. You know, you can you can miss shots, but always willing to to take the ball and try things is is something I really appreciate. And he's done that from the first minute. So you know, it's difficult at, at the moment with Arsenal because they're a side in transition. But as I said, he could be a real constant for this team. And I think his his potential is really exciting. Yeah, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that Arsenal are a team in transition. Your summer business was, it was impressive, but it was... It wasn't an immediate fix, um, especially in defence. The introduction of William Saliba will come next season, but he is a player who is in uh, Volume 3. One of the things that, that I've mentioned in uh, Saliba's profile is that 
yes, Arsenal are still a club in transition. And I think that trying to fit in an 18-year-old who only has 13 or 14 90 minutes played in Ligue 1, that would be quite a task for any manager and for any for any player, any teenager who clearly does have rough edges, but there is there is a physical profile there in William Saliba that shows that he can be a top-level defender. He can be a good Arsenal defender, reliable for the next four, five, six, however many years. But yeah, the interesting thing that you said there was it's about transition, but I think it's on the whole for, for Arsenal, it, it is it is looking quite quite positive in the long run because of these players that that will be that will be coming in. Of course, Saliba is back on loan. Uh, he's injured at the moment, but he's back on loan at San Etienne, uh, where Arsenal bought him from. I mean, I was just wanted to get your thoughts on on Saliba, Phil. Uh, whether you've seen much of him, whether you agree with you know loaning him back straight away, whether you think that's that's the best approach. When the deal was first announced, a lot of Arsenal fans were you know we're spending thirty million on a centre back, and he should be able to come in and, and play immediately, which which I completely understand, but a lot of that opinion was skewed by how poor our defence was last season. People look at this shiny new toy and think, right, he's the new saviour. He's going to come and, you know, put this defence into shape, which was, like you said, it's just so much to ask for a defender so young, um, who was brilliant last season, but obviously marshalled alongside Loic Perrin, who's experienced, he, he can sort of learn alongside him, where in this back four, there's... There's individuals as opposed to a unit. But as you said, he, he showed a lot of promise last season. He's quite mature for his age, um, how he plays and, and, and his manner in general. is quite cool and calm, which is always welcome in a back four. Quite physically imposing, with, which will always be a bonus for Arsenal because they've, they've lacked you know a real brute in defence for a few years now. I mean, Socrates has done a decent job, but he can still be quite erratic. But... From what I've seen of, of Saliba, he looks quite measured in, in everything that he does, you know, not diving in, reading the game. Um, and his distribution is excellent as well. I mean, he's never never afraid to to try a long ball over the top and he's always looking to play forward, which which I love. So I think definitely for this season, the lone back was the, the sensible option. You know, we don't know what's going to happen this year, but hopefully there'll be a chance to secure Champions League football and whether it's Emery or, or someone else in charge, there's a there's a real talent to work with there when he comes back in. I'm sure he will be competing for, for a starting place. Steve, I'm going to throw it back to you now. You are profiling uh, the token Australian in Volume 3. Who's the Aussie that you've got this year? Yeah, so uh, in this book, we've got uh, Awa Mabil. He's got a really interesting story, actually. Uh, he was born in a, a Kenyan refugee camp, came over to Australia as a as a refugee, as a as a young child, and 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 grew up here, made his debut for the for the Socceroos last year, and uh, has worked his way into into being a regular with Australia. At the same time, he's been in Denmark playing at at Midtjylland and and had an okay time of it. Um, has struggled under the previous manager, I forget his name, who's just been sacked. So it's be interesting to see uh, if Mabil can uh, can start to kick on in Denmark. He's a He's got an interesting profile, kind of can can do some amazing things, but can struggle then executing basics, but plenty of talent. Uh, some of his performances, the Asian Cup are fantastic. One particular goal where he whips out onto his left foot from outside the box and just sends his curler into the top corner, kind of showed what he's all about, but needs to become more of a, 
go goal threat using using his pace and his and his dribbling qualities to to get in behind and threaten. But yeah, Australian soccer's screaming out for someone to to take the reign after the retirement of Tim Cahill and and become a regular goal scoring threat. And uh, hopefully, he's uh, the start of a new generation coming through that can uh, can fill some voids and, and start to score some goals. Yeah, the um the the only time that I'd ever come across Mobile was at the Asian Cup, uh, and yeah, he was he was quite impressive. He, was, he posted quite good numbers. He was quite efficient in front of goal, both in goals and assists. I suppose, yeah, like you say with that that Tim Cahill point, I, f- I feel like if you could get like a poster boy, someone to you know work the team around, then yeah, great. But as you say, it was quite an interesting story that he's got. I feel like there's quite a lot of players in Volume Three uh, who do have this really interesting background which is which is one of the reasons why we do have that that background uh, element to the profiles because when you're getting to know a player yes it's very nice to know their style of play what they're likely to do on the pitch but for me personally I like to know behind that player on the pitch you know Newcastle the club I support I like to know about who these players are on a, on a human level as well which I think is just as important in, in the modern game. Well that's also a thing that a lot of scouts is one of the most important part of the scouting process is trying to to get a a psychological profile on on how what players are like as people before before any uh before any signings are made to kind of gauge that element of what a club's going to be getting i think that's quite important though because you do need to know that you you're getting a good psychological profile as you put it to join a squad because if you get someone who's completely at odds with the ethos and, and the mantra that you're trying to, to instill at a football club, then that's going to completely, for want of a better phrase, put the cat amongst the pigeons in a camp. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's vital. But, yeah, it, it, there are quite a few interesting backgrounds, definitely, in, in Volume 3 that, I mean, I'm interested by, but I think most people will be, will be interested to check out. Okay, so we'll move on from there. We've got a, another special feature in uh, the upcoming handbook is... Uh, Got a nice bonus section included on the Under-20 World Cup that took place in May uh, in Poland. Uh, Ukraine won the Under-20 World Cup, bit of a surprise, but they were fantastic throughout. Uh, so we've got an, a little, not a pull-out section, but a, a, a little bonus section that with our uh, team of the tournament packed with uh, a full team and, and subs bench of profiles on who we thought the, the best performers of the Under-20 World Cup were. There are a few surprises because uh, there were some different Less expected teams that that made it to the to the knockout rounds and and through to the semifinals and final, but definitely again an, another great part of the book. I think there's eighteen eighteen little profiles, uh, larger sections on the on the on the starters and some nice uh, profile uh, images from our good friend Carl, who's done the illustrations of our gold, silver, and bronze ball winners. Um, so that's one to check out. Uh, Joe, you watched a heap of the Under-20 World Cup. Who who stood out for you? I watched quite a lot of the uh, South Korean team. I, I was I was quite a little bit heartbroken when, when they lost uh, 3-1 in the final to Ukraine. They were just so efficient. They were so compact in their defensive work because they didn't they, they had they had one star man. They had Kang In Lee, or Lee Kang In, sorry. And the rest of the team were a lot of them were domestic players. But they were workhorses. They put their bodies on the line. Kim Hyun Woo, who has a mini profile in in our little eighteen man squad, uh, in in the book, he stood out to me because he against uh, South Africa he came off on a stretcher because he he was injured and he he had been a colossus 
in that game as South Africa tried to, to try to get an equalizer. And then three days later, he turned in one of one of the best defensive performances of the tournament. And I don't mince my words there. I mean, it, it thoroughly, thoroughly was excellent um, against Argentina, which is a lot easier said than done because he was coming up against Adolfo Gaich, Thomas Shankalai, Ezekiel Barco, you know, very dynamic, very attacking players. Uh, and then Gaich himself is, is very mobile for, for a big forward. Um, but he's also very physical. And Kim, he really stood up well to that. And he stood up well to every challenge that was thrown at him throughout the tournament. And it wasn't just his physical contributions. It was technically as well, he was really impressive. He was good at distributing the ball with both feet up to the chest of Sehuno, um, who was South Korea's focal point, who Kangin worked around and dropped off and used as, uh, used as a buffer and um, used as a foil for his creativity but yeah south korea were were my favorite team to watch purely because they were they were the best team i really enjoyed watching ukraine the winners personally the center back three man backline uh, was fantastic and and really standing out was uh, valerie bonda who who plays for shakhtar kind of reminded me a little bit of fabio Cannavaro with the short stocky but just brutal just wants to charge into every single duel uh full-blooded just wants to take everyone out and just go after everything but then he worked really well in, in tandem with denis popov from uh, dinamo kiev uh who's more of a bonucci i'm just likening everyone to italian center backs but <laughs> kind of dropped off to the right side of the defense and just started pinging diagonals into the into the strikers and and trying to tee up attack so ukraine were fantastic to watch and uh and then Ecuador as well were, were really, really entertaining uh, with Gonzalo Plata, who's from Sporting, and uh, Leandro Campana, who who might be moving to Napoli. I've seen rumours of uh, up front who were who were dynamic and and really exciting to watch. So I think Ecuador have done well in the at under seventeen level. I think they won the Sudamericana, so they're a potential golden generation coming through that uh, is worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, Ecuador, I was going to say between South Korea and Ecuador, they were the games that I watched the most and they were brilliant. And obviously they finished uh, in third place at the tournament, uh, beating Italy 1-0 in the third place playoff. But you mentioned Gonzalo Plata and uh, Leandro Campana. The guy that I really liked for them was Diego Palacios, uh, the left back, because he almost he played almost as if he was a wing back, but in a back four. And the thing that was so interesting about Ecuador was was their setup. They had two very physically dominant centre halves, whose job was to. I think one of them was Valasia, who really struck stuck out to me. He's a real, real monster. He they, their their job was to was just to do the defensive work, and the fullbacks for Ecuador would do all the ball progression, which was great because the Ecuador's front four uh, was Jordan Rezabala, Campana. Alvarado and Gonzalo Plata, those four, they made things happen. They made the team tick. And it was quite similar to Liverpool in the sense that they wanted their fullbacks to get the ball to their to their attacking players, their creative players, as, as quick as possible. And they executed it really well. And the only reason that they weren't in the final was because of South Korea's compactness in, in the semi. But yeah, all in all, it was a it was a fantastic tournament, and the uh, the the team of the tournament profiles are awesome, and and should give uh, a lot of insight into some of the key players. A lot of them have already moved clubs. Brian Rodriguez has gone to LAFC, and Andre Lunin has gone on loan to was it Mallorca, I believe. Uh, it might have been Valladolid. No, Valladolid. That's correct. So so definitely 
check that out on the digital or, or the the physical release of the mag. And also if you're if anyone's interested in, in learning a bit more about that South Korean compact defense that you have heralded, Joe, then uh then Justin from last week's podcast wrote a, a fantastic piece for our for our website, which we don't post on, on enough detailing uh South Korea's tactical setup and and how they did so well at the tournament. So definitely go check that out. All right, then. Well, we've discussed Volume 3 just about enough, um, but we're not giving enough credit to Volume 1 and Volume 2. Phil, you had a few more profiles in uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Out of the ones that you wrote, who was the one that you really enjoyed watching the most? Yeah, well, I mean, it was was Joe Ellington for the... For the second handbook, really, I think he's he interested me under under Julian Nagelsmann last year, and then as I as I watched more, as I researched more, he's just a, a really interesting player. I wrote in in my profile that he's he's difficult to define, and that's because in the Hoffenheim system, he could do everything. I mean, he he was dropping deep as like a number eight and progressing the ball from there. He was acting as the as the target man on occasion. He was playing wide left to support Andre Kamerich. And it was just, you know, digging into the stats. He was he was he was showing up in 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 tackles and key passes and it was just such a strange blend. Um and then when you look at him, he's massive. Um I mean he's not tall, but he's I mean he is pretty tall, but he's not like touching the six foot four, six foot three region. And he's, you know, he's he's got a really deft touch and good good movement, and he's just, you know, a really interesting interesting striker. So when I saw he was he was moving to Newcastle, I was a bit worried that they they would sort of use him as as the lone front man and just hang the ball up to him and hope that it sticks because he's so much more than that. But even in the first few games, I know I know Steve Bruce isn't exactly a favourite on on Tyne's side at the moment, but he's even even against Spurs, he was. You know, running Davinson Sanchez ragged a lot of the time, and his his chest control was excellent. His his touch was was strong, and even his finish to to score was was really impressive. So I think if Newcastle can sort of buzz around him enough with Almiron, with Sam Maximan, who I know is injured at the moment, and even Christian Atsu, you know, there's a there's a real player there. And I think you know just being able to research and 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 dig deep into his into his profile was uh, was really fun. One of the lines that you had in that profile was, as you mentioned, a hugely difficult player to define because he does not just tick one box, but four or five. His style is reminiscent of an old-fashioned number nine. What would take him to the next level, however, is consistency, which I feel, having, I mean, having watched Joel Linton for the past three games, is very, very true. And obviously you meant, you alluded to the... Um, to the way that Steve Bruce is going to use him at Newcastle, which I mean, is a far cry from uh, the likes of Julian Nagelsmann. But if if he is going to be used as that focal point, if he is going to be used as that target man, he needs to be supported by the inside forwards of Almiron and uh, San Maximan because that would allow him then to drop deeper and then to to tackle, to make those, to create those chances, to make those key passes, as as you also alluded to there, which I think would be a lot better than you know, just hanging the ball up to his chest as as well as he did do against Spurs uh, in that role. Steve, in volume two, you also had uh, a few profiles in there. I mean, who really stood out to you when, when you were watching and, and researching them? On the last topic, can I just add that I would love for someone to do an interview where they ask uh, Joelinton to compare the um, tactical match preparation difference between Steve Bruce and, and Julian Nagelsmann. But uh, yeah, I, the favorite profile probably that I've written so far uh, was on 
I do a lot of jack of all trades stuff. I don't really have a particular league that I watch a lot of over another, but um, Jefferson Soteldo, who is a, a, a little pocket rocket Venezuelan who plays for, for Santos in, in Brazil. Another one that came to our attention during a, a youth world cup at the under 20 world cup in 2017, uh, where Venezuela made the final. And he is just a, a little, a little marvel to watch dribble God. Uh, he's absolutely tearing it up in Brazil this year. Also a friend of scouted, uh, gave us a thumbs up on Instagram the other day, which I was pretty stoked about. So he, he, I think we've, we've posted a, a couple of videos on our, on our timeline, just, uh, showing his dribbling. I think he's the made more dribbles than anyone else in Brazil this season. And, and he, there's a video that we did, I think it was last week or the week before. He does this nice little dribble move and this perfect cross uh, for an assist in, in, a, in a league game in Brazil and, and kind of just summed up everything that he's about. He can kind of hang wide as like a target man almost, even though he's about five foot four, kind of like a wide target man and then and then just gets the ball and he's like this one-man dribble machine, just puts the head down and, and, and can get his team further up the pitch and, and, and keep possession of the ball and, and then bring others into the game. So that's a, a really, I think, a nice profile. Um, unfortunately, all out of uh, physical copies of the of the first uh, book now, but yeah, still can can catch it on the on the digital. Yeah, just an, I mean, a player that I that I covered in um, in uh, volume one, which again Steve mentions there, you can still get on digital. Um, it wouldn't be a contribution from me if I didn't mention Viktor Sihankov uh, at Dynamo Kiev. Anybody who knows me will know that I'm I'm a very big fan of his. Uh, last season, he played 45 games in all competitions, scored 18 goals, registered 15 assists, which, I mean, are very good numbers. But the thing that strikes me always whenever I watch Viktor Sihankov is his set-piece delivery. His technique is absolutely fantastic. It's it's brilliant. And you need to watch some, some of his goals that he scored from set-pieces. And, and there was a period uh, last season where... There was about three or four games in a row where he he has this corner routine where he'll go over to the left hand corner and whip in uh, an in swinging ball with with his left foot and there was three or four games in a row I can't remember which ones but where each time there was there was a Dynamo Kiev player who got on the end of it and it was goal after goal after goal from a corner and then and then that's even without talking about his free kick delivery which again produced pr- plenty of uh, plenty of opportunities for his teammates as well as being able to score them from range there's i think there's one against Mariupol which was just it, just incredible absolutely incredible um but Harry Wilson-esque yeah Harry Wilson-esque but i, I think from possibly a little bit further out less whip more just straight line power but yeah in terms of technique yes Harry Wilson-esque but I was I was quite surprised this summer that he has he has remained at uh, Dynamo Kiev for this season because for the past two years now he's been quite comfortably one of if not the best player in the Ukrainian Premier League. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. But I do think he will be in a in a bigger European league soon. Uh, I mean, there's no rush. He's only 21. But yeah, he's he's definitely one that that I uh, earmarked uh, as one to, to look out for and have been keeping a close eye on his progress. Well, you better call up Mike Ashley and uh, and get him to to get the checkbook out. Well, I mean, if, if I did have the means to, to call up Mike Ashley, then I, I'm not sure. As passionate as I am about about uh, Sihankov, 
it might not be the first topic of conversation, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I would I'd love to see him um, in in a in a top five European league because I have no qualms about him being able to cut it. He could he could do it. And also, it's just it's just worth noting that you know fourteen of the yeah. of the fifty players we've covered so far have all secured moves. So um, you know that's quite an interesting point that we are profiling the right players and looking in the right areas. And we've, you know, we've obviously got some readers in high places, which is always good. But I mean, even even looking at the first from the first handbook, we've got Chris Meppham, you know, Kevin and Barbu, Mario Moso, uh, Nahitan Nandez, you know, Luka Jovic, all these guys who who have who have moved clubs in the summer. And again, uh, if you look at the second version, we've got Eden Militao, Aaron Wambasaka, Junior Firpo, Joachim Anderson. You know, if you if you want to get Really, Samaseku, Samaseku, exactly. Mark Rocker could have moved to Bayern uh, before they pulled the plug. I think at the last minute, Joao Felix, Ismail Assar, you know, and even guys like Danny Olmo and Steven Bergwijn, who who somehow still remained at their clubs, um, despite their standout seasons and and under twenty, uh, under twenty one Euros. You know, it's it's interesting just to look back and see that we are profiling the right guys. We are looking in the right areas and. Despite what what might seem otherwise, we do actually know. We're our profiling st- the players that your club are going to sign. Yeah, exactly. Next. We know our stuff, so it's just always nice to look back. Yeah, and that doesn't even take into account the likes of Reese James, who obviously was at Wigan last season, um, but is probably going to play a much more. I mean, probably not a key role, but he's going to play an auxiliary role at Chelsea this season. Probably playing second fiddle to Aspilicueta. Um, but maybe not if uh, if Aspi keeps being uh, a bit subpar, uh, should we say? If I'm going to put it politically. But yeah, it is quite it is quite interesting because there are so I mean there are so many players that we haven't had I mean, we don't have time to discuss we haven't discussed but they are very they are perfectly valid players that are, are interesting and and would make differences at, at, at such a such a number of clubs. I mean, one of the players from Volume Three that I haven't that I haven't mentioned. Uh, today was Milot Rashica at Werder Bremen. He he's such an exciting player. He's a complete whippet of, of a footballer. Um, you know, very energetic. But th- there's so many, so many players that that are so so interesting and so exciting to to watch. That kind of just about finishes things for us uh, today. I'd just like to thank Phil and Steve for joining me on this one. Um, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, gents, for for joining me. Uh, and thank you again for tuning in. Um, if if you listen to the first episode, if this is your first time listening to the Scouted Football Podcast, welcome. Thank you for listening. Just uh, another reminder that Volume Three is available from the sfhandbook.com website, uh, and we are offering free shipping to UK orders uh, and hugely reduced rates on EU and uh, worldwide orders as well. We will be getting uh, another podcast out in the next week or so. Uh, as part of this being a new regular podcast feature but yeah any last words that that you boys would like to like to add just please buy the book everyone it's it's uh it's awesome yeah no i can absolutely echo that sentiment i mean a lot of work goes in behind the scenes to make uh these handbooks as good as they possibly can be and even if you don't read them they look amazing so if you want some instagram clout just just go and buy them coffee table feature that's it Brilliant. Well, thank you for tuning in. We will see you again very soon. Bye-bye.